Characteristic five, care. I've alluded to this a little bit already, but we believe, and, and I mentioned that this is one of the things that I was really focused on right from the beginning. I mentioned worship, care, uh, pastoral care, and community. By care, what we meant was that it was the responsibility of the church as a body to take care of her people who were in need. And that comes right out of the Bible. Widows and orphans in Acts chapter 6 are, are being cared for by the daily collection and ministrations and service of the people of the church. I mentioned the financial support. I can't tell you how many, one year in our, our small church in Indiana, the single biggest item in our budget, and we had a $60,000 budget, which isn't very huge, right? But 20, $23,000 or $24,000 of that budget that year went to help families in our church, our benevolence line, you know, line item there. And in fact, I, I, uh, we just strongly in, encouraged helping people. And in our church in the 80s, we had economic devastation. We had one point in 1984 where there were 60% of our heads of household in Gary who were out of work, 60%. The unemployment rate in Gary as a whole was 18% because of the shutdown of the steel industry. And it, it was, so how do you live there? The only way you live is if you start sharing with each other. Those that have, share with those that, that, that uh, don't. We, you know, car payments, people pick up on, you know, we'd help people make car payments so they can get another job. We'd, we'd uh, you know, it's just, that's the way it was. And that, because we cared about the people. Financially, intellectually, emotionally, spiritually, vocationally. I remember conversations with, okay, the mills are done. What are we going to do? You know what you got to do, buddy? You got to go back to school. I hate to tell you this, but there's a college down the way here. And the will of God for you <laughs> is to get an education. And so we'd, help, and we'd have to help there. We had a, a woman who was uh, on welfare, and she had three children, and their father had vanished into the winds. We found him a few years later in Arizona, but anyway. <laughs> and the Indiana welfare system was set up horrendously so that if she wasn't actively looking for a job, she wasn't eligible for welfare. If she went to college, she was not actively looking for a job and therefore was ineligible for welfare. So she was stuck in a bind where she couldn't get out of it. And so what did our, our church do? Bless their hearts. We decided, we, we told her, you're going to school, and we will provide the financial support for you for the entire time you're in school. And so she became a nurse, a registered nurse, and actually was then financially able to take care of herself and her children. But without the help of the people of the church, it would not have been possible. See? Care. Um, seeing and hearing from God. I alluded to that uh, yesterday also. We actually believed that God would speak to us if we seek him. That God would reveal his will to us. That, that he wasn't absent from the world. And we would know it in many different ways. We would know it in the still, small voice that, that you hear in the heart. We would know it in the consensus of the conversations that, that we would have with people who were also seeking the Lord. And we actually, in some churches more than others, actually were a little bit charismatic. I don't know if you 
know what I mean by the charismatic movement, that it, the idea that God would prophetically speak into a, a situation even, yes, we even had people who spoke in tongues in some of our churches, though that was not a emphasis that any of us, and we didn't get into the extreme kind of stuff, and speaking in tongues was never thought of as a, a manifestation of the baptism of the Holy Spirit or any of that kind of extreme. I, all I'm saying is that we had some people in the churches who did speak in, in, in tongues. In fact, I tried to. <laughs> Back in, when I, in 1977, I, I spent quite a bit of time in prayer trying to. I had a... a <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I never did. I never did. And, and I came to the conclusion after trying for a number of, of months to receive that gift that God just didn't want me to have that gift. And I quit, I quit seeking it, thankfully, because it led me a whole different, whole different direction. But the, the point is, we believed that we would see and hear from God. And it would be corporately the responsibility of the government of the church with the people to discern when God had in fact spoken and then when God had spoken, what were you supposed to do? To obey it, to do it. That was also a problem with some of our critics, you know. Some of our critics said, well, God doesn't speak like that. Or how can you know that you have heard, heard from God? And my response to that even now is if God doesn't speak, then, then what is life all about? You know, we... God wants to commune with us, and we can indeed know what his will for us is to do. We pray, Dr. Rossi mentioned the uh, prayer of Metropolitan Philaret. One of the lines in there is, in every hour of the day, reveal your will to me. Well, that means he reveals it if he answers that prayer, right? He, you know what he wants you to do at any particular at any particular moment. Now, it might not be flashy. It might be, it's time to eat supper. But it's time to get supper ready. But that's the will of God, seeing and hearing from God. Good works. Faith without works is dead. So we believed that we needed to do good things. And, and good works included a lot of things. Preaching also included caring for the sick, the poverty-stricken. We got involved in some of our areas in social issues, even political issues. I think that was one of the things that was frightening for the daily nexus in Santa Barbara was that as the community there grew, they actually realized that some of the welfare of the people of the church depended upon policy things like water board decisions and things like that. And so they decided to actually act politically, vote a certain way, even run a candidate for a certain political positions and that frightens people because any kind of coherent opposition voice makes people worry a little bit but it wasn't so much for political political purposes as that we we saw some needs that we wanted to deal with in our neighborhood there were five pornographic bookstores within a couple of blocks of where we lived and those pornographic bookstores were magnets for all of the wrong types of people. One of our men, the late Deacon Philip Gilbert, was an EMT paramedic in, uh, in Gary, and he rattled off one day the number of times he had to go and 
help gunshot victims in front of these porn bookstores just a few blocks from our, our church. And so what did we do? I got involved in a community-wide effort to try to shut those places down. We lost. That's a whole other issue. <laughs> but we tried. We felt that was part of our mission to work there in, in the community. And if, if people are poor, we work to do that. We look for ways to do food cooperatives to you know, help people that were homeless or whatever it might be in those various communities we wanted, we wanted to help. In fact, on a, couple, on a couple of occasions in our community in Gary and also in the community in Indianapolis, we picked run-down neighborhoods and chose to move into those neighborhoods with the express purpose of helping to improve the quality of life in those neighborhoods. People thought we were nuts. <laughs> and I was, but I don't know about everybody else. Good works. Godliness. Our words and works, we expected to be in obedience to our king, and we expected that our people would be trying to live holy lives. 